Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckets join me shortly. Our topics this week, Kansas City voters pick a new mayor. The Kansas Supreme Court decides not to pick a fight and a fight over a busted system at the Jackson County Jail, plus roast and toast. But we're going to start with our Newsmaker segment and look at some of the issues facing the Kansas legislature, and there's no shortage of those. Joining me is State Senator David Haley from Wyandotte County. Haley, a Democrat, represents the 4th District and has been in the Senate since 2001. Prior to that, he served in the State House. Haley, an attorney, is also a member of a famous American family. His father, George, was a politician and international diplomat. And his uncle, Alex, was a Pulitzer Prize winner, the author of the best-selling book and subsequent television series, Roots. Senator David Haley, welcome to Ruckus. Great to see you again, sir. It's great to be back. Thank you, Mike. We're both uh, Wyandotte Countyans, so as we begin, tell me how you think Kansas City, Kansas, and Wyandotte County are getting along. We're now in the third decade of consolidation. We are, and certainly there have been some benefits uh, that consolidation has yielded. We have seen that there is um, an ease and not the discord that was seen in the former county city governments and that acrimony that's often seen even um, in other county city governments. So in terms of having that ability, we've moved forward. There are still some remaining questions, as you know, being um, one of our most famous Wyandotte Countyans now. And that is... That's, that's why you're do. a guest, you know. <laughs> That our bonding, we're concerned about our bonding. We look at some of our more stellar economic drivers and what their longevity might be. And we're concerned also about representation at the local level where we have um, the representation where people are not able to be heard because they have an in district and a, an at large representative. And sometimes those two are well collusive. We have a county commission instead of a city government, city council. Let, let's talk about uh, the school finance decision rendered by the state Supreme Court last week. Mm -hmm. The court finally said the spending was sufficient for K-12 education. Uh, are you satisfied with the outcome? Well, certainly we're pleased with the governor in, um, now Governor Kelly, um, to be able to do that, working with is often a contentious legislature. We still have uh, many, in, certainly in the Senate and in the House, that did not want to see the Gannon decision resolved at this point in time. I think they thrive on having this constant back and forth. Well, well we had attorneys for the school district say they're not satisfied. They accepted this, but they're not satisfied. So how long do you think it'll be before the school districts, a couple of which are in Wyandotte County, uh, renew the suit? Well, let's, let's think about this in one word, inflation. How will inflation affect what is a fixed amount that is 90 million additional? How will that 90 million look in outlying years? We know that it's going to suffice, or we believe it will for now, but how long will it be before we need to look at the costs of inflation for looking at at risk and other variables that we need to ensure adequate and suitable education? Do you see any chance that Democrats and Republicans could craft an amendment that would say school finance is based on pick a percentage of 
what income the state is expected to receive in any given year, and that decision would be final. I know other states have done that. In fact, um, they may do that in Missouri. Where I think maybe Missouri does that. A, a certain, and I don't know if we are, we're going to reach that point at this point. We pride ourselves in Kansas that our schools are competitive. I'm very proud that one of the number one high schools in the country, Sumner High School, is in my district in KCK. And I don't know if we want to have a cookie-cutter approach based on what the economy is doing in our state that would then be a trickle-down to what... Well, um, but, you know, here's the problem. I talked to lots of state legislators and a former governor and a future governor, and I would ask them all, so how much money do the schools need? Mm -hmm. And not any of them can answer that question because mm -hmm. no one seems to know. Mm -hmm. it bases, it's based on a court decision based on a nebulous clause in the state constitution. Wouldn't it be better to nail it down and say 25% or 30% or whatever of anticipated revenues go to schools? If we're willing to say that we no longer feel that education is the primary function of state government and that our school children are the most important thing that we have, then certainly we can tie that into that. But I think that whatever, the, whatever income the state has from our state general fund, the prime objective would be to ensure that our state is not only competitive in a world economy, but also the, um, the highlight of, of our children. Are there any Republicans in the state legislature from Wyandotte, in state legislature from Wyandotte County? Um, not that I'm aware, and if they are, we will do it. And the legislature sure is controlled remain. by the Republicans. Do Wyandotte Countyans get a fair shake from the state legislature? Oh, indeed, we do. Um, we have a good debate, a robust debate, and it's not just because of Democrats or Republicans or um, conservatives or moderates, but because, by and large, we're listening to the issues and the values that are reflected um, by most Kansans. So we do. We, we've been You're, you're productive. active in the Democratic Party. Who's your favorite uh, candidate for the presidential nomination? Wow. At this point in time, I'm prepared to support several of them. I don't have a clear favorite, but um, certainly they all um, are making their points. I will say that I'm concerned about the party being too constrained to some of the issues, the outlying issues to what some would say the far left, and that we don't address the mainstream as indeed I, I hope our party will. You consider yourself a moderate? I do. All right. Good to see you again. Thank it's you very much for you. coming in. Appreciate Come back and see day. us. That is Kansas State Senator David Haley. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Teresa Garza is a former Jackson County legislator. Attorney Laura McConwell is a former three-term mayor of Mission, Kansas. John Stevens is president and CEO of Port KC. And Denidre Herbert is a journalist with the Sentinel website, a part of the Kansas Policy Institute. Good to see all of you again. A really good-looking panel. It's great to have you with us. Glad to be here. As sometimes happens, what the pollsters predict and the pundits proclaim turns out to be wrong. The race for mayor was not close. It was anything but. A first-term 34-year-old councilman, Quentin Lucas, will succeed Sly James as Kansas City mayor after winning decisively against another council member, Jolie Justice. The margin of victory was impressive, roughly 60 to 40 percent. While Justice outperformed Lucas north of the river, it was not substantial enough to stop his south-of-the-river surge. Aside from the obvious fact that Lucas got more votes than his opponent, what else do you see as a major factor in his victory? And let's start with John. Sure. Well, you know, I think both candidates, obviously both current council members, 
they brought a lot to the table. They're both savvy politicians, experienced people, even even for their ages. And uh, but what what really separated them, I think. Uh, is that Quinton came out with just a better general campaign strategy, uh, campaign outreach program, and then he also brought just a better, clearer, more concise message and messages to the voters that I think between the primaries and, and the general election this week resonated. Well, Denise, would it be fair to say that he's more charismatic than she, and you can't teach somebody to be charismatic? Yes, it would be fair to say that. One thing that I would found... Would it be accurate to say that? I, yes, it would oh, be okay. accurate. I thought it was fascinating. All of my... I have a lot of conservative friends, which will probably shock all of you to know. Uh, my conservative friends on the Missouri side were all huge Quinton supporters. Mm -hmm. And so I think he was successful at gathering a coalition of people who I don't think probably were his primary supporters. You know why I think he gathered a coalition of conservative voters is he talks so much about infrastructure and basic mm -hmm. services. Yeah. And I think that Absolutely. is fairly called a conservative point of view. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I mean, he definitely hit on those points. And I think that um, looking back and looking at the white races that were ran, it sometimes feels like, and a lot of people have stated this, that Jolie was still running a, a Senate race versus a mm -hmm. mayoral race. And, you know, he, when he's putting out things like who's tired of potholes and she's putting out something about not taking money from big oil, it's not the same yeah. thing on the local level. Yeah. And so that really kind of, I guess, showed who was leading in regards to wanting to be the representative for this, the community and the city. Yeah, I think Quentin spoke, he spoke to the people. Mm -hmm. And because I had that, even on the Kansas side, there were a lot of my yeah, conservative friends weird. that were, you know, they were really rooting for Quentin Lucas. And, you know, I think he is, he's young, he has a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. um, he is not scorched earth. He's willing to work with people. I mean, he's going to work with Jolie and, yeah. um, and the other council people that were elected, and he really sent a message that the people that are the stakeholders, meaning the voters in Kansas mm -hmm. City, want to hear. They want to hear that somebody's going to think about them, and so the potholes and safe neighborhoods and, and affordable housing, and those are all things that are really important to them, and I think a lot of the voter base are tired of hearing about the big projects, and, and they're tired of hearing about the rich... Big they just want to get back to basic they want services. safe neighborhoods. They, they want, want back to basic services. They want John, basic services. there will be six new members on the yes. city council, mm -hmm. six people returning to the city council, a mayor who is returning to right. city government. So do you think anything significant is going to change in the next four years? Will the streets be better? Will the homicides be fewer? <laughs> Will jobs well, dramatically expand? As every mayor elected in the history of mayorships uh, knows, uh, you have to tackle all of these. You can't focus on just one issue and try to solve it. It is a multitude of issues. I do think progress can continue to be made. I think we were lucky in Kansas City with having two mayoral candidates that were both really at their heart policy wonks. And that is a good thing Correct. in the Kansas City government with 12 council members that you're going to have a real mix of interests, a mix of diversity, a mix of people coming with their own strategies for solving the problems of Kansas City. And I think Mayor-elect Lucas is going to, uh, I, I really believe that he'll be able to come in and build coalitions and move some agendas forward. And, and I, I think we should look forward to that. What was question one, Teresa? Question one, dealing with incentives? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's what it was. Oh, let me rephrase. What was the outcome of voting on question one? It got voted down. Um, so, again, I mean, kind of what you said, like, 
talking about the big projects, why there's kind of the, a disconnect, right? People are complaining about big projects, but yet this got voted down. Yeah, it, um, because it, people it, understand you still have to have growth. You still have to be able to give, bring jobs into a community. You still need right. affordable housing. Right. So you still need those things. It's just how do you do it and, and have it a better portfolio? It was an arbitrary portfolio. cap that, wasn't, that didn't give Correct. flexibility for different areas or different types of projects. And also, I think people in Kansas City have heard they're tired of... Of, uh, of governing by petition initiative in Kansas City. They I want their elected I, officials to I govern. knew you knew, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> Here are some words I never thought I would say on ruckus, hear them on ruckus, or hear or say them anywhere else ever. The Kansas Supreme Court has decided the state's K-12 <laughs> public school system is adequately funded. Now, this will at least temporarily end the battle between several state school districts and the state legislature over how much is enough. Apparently, the answer is well in excess of $4 billion a year, a sizable chunk of the state's annual budget. And there is this caveat. The high court will continue to oversee the case, apparently to make sure the legislature meets its commitment. As someone who has followed this case with a great deal of interest for a long time, Denidri, what do you make of this outcome? Well, I don't think anybody was shocked by it. I think the Kansas Supreme Court has proven over and over and over again that they're a political entity, and they've made a political decision, I think, sticking a finger in the air and going, okay, we need to stop now for a while, but we're going to hold on to it. You know, this lawsuit was filed within a few days of Governor Brownback being elected. He was governor-elect when this lawsuit was filed, and I think they're going to hold on to it till there's a Republican in office and then start punching the next Republican in the face with another lawsuit or the continuation of this as soon as possible. This is a political decision based on nothing but a subjective opinion of, okay, now it's adequate. Just now. Because All right, John. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, let me ask John this, and then I'll ask some of the others on the panel. Who can claim a victory uh, after this? The schools, the GOP legislators, Governor Kelly, the Democrats, none of the above, all of the above? I don't think anybody can claim a victory. I think that it's settled, a cloud is lifted, and that's a good thing for the state of Kansas because, honestly, public education in Kansas has been one of the top hallmarks of recruitment, retention, and the reason that Kansas has succeeded in the ways that it has. So lifting that cloud for however long that lifts and continuing to put pressure on the legislature to continue to fund education and not make big cuts, I think that's important and it's beneficial. So I don't know that anyone wins or loses, but I think it's a cloud is lifted. Uh, Laura, what? does this end the talk about by Republicans of a constitutional amendment to take away from the state Supreme Court the authority to uh, deal with school finance? Probably not among some Republicans, but one of the things that uh, causes me um, uh, some concern is is the, the focus on just talking about money because one of the things, some of the things in the Supreme Court opinion is they want to talk about what the actual effect is on the children and what we can do, what, what, what's happening in the classroom and with the educational system, which to me should be the focus as opposed to constantly saying, well, how much money, how much money, how much money, which is why the Supreme Court kicked it out before because they said, okay, we're just going to put this money in the pot and is that enough? And the Supreme Court said, no, you, you know, you need to tell us why 
you know, and what the effect on the children are going to be. And so I really w hope that this gives us a breathing opportunity to kind of turn yes. the conversation around to talk about our kids. So I would say that, like, the people that win are the kids and the parents that were advocating for this and the teachers. Do, do they the win, the though, if they, uh, there are people who said there are going to be 5,400 new teachers and that doesn't look like it's going to pan out? Do they win if, if outcomes don't improve? Can which, we call it a victory which is why, for kids? Which is why the Supreme Court still wants oversight, because well, they want to make sure that they are going to carry well, for, through on the process. What do they, the know, about, what do they but, know about No difference about in what is a legislature. But this is looking about. like So we've the, given them the... the Ability to do and so that. they need they so our elected education. people need to be working together with our. We have a school board, Correct. we have the legislatures, and I think we need to be working on figuring out those outcomes. Because I agree with you. I don't. I so, mean, we could put all kinds of money, money in and still not have good outcomes. And I'll so I don't think the money should just now. be no. the conversation. It needs to be the whole quality of the education. Yes. And, and, yes. and originally, if you remember, there were two issues at hand. There was adequacy, adequacy, and equity. Mm -hmm. And now they've solved. They've resolved the adequacy. Side, or neither at least they've neither of those words are in the Kansas Constitution, by the I, way. I just want to put it out there yeah. every time. But they're important well, for the education and, of the children you know, of Kansas. And, and, so. and me, having been in this, you know, my kids were in public school in Kansas, okay. and it, it caused me some concern that I had at that time when my kids were in grade school, they were going to half-time nurse, half-time librarian, and I had someone in Neodache telling me that everybody in the district got horseback riding lessons because they had such excess in their district. And so... So to me, that's why I think we need to look at, okay, what is the end effect? What are we trying to accomplish? Not just continually throwing money at something. I, I guess we haven't resolved this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going away. There's been a bit of a brawl at the Jackson County, County Jail, emphasis on brawl, over the security systems that reject women attorneys wearing underwire brassieres. The system deprived female attorneys of face-to-face -face meetings with clients, something they say is unfair and potentially damaging to those they represent. Sheriff Daryl Forte and Corrections Director Diane Turner rejected the women's pleas to modify the system. Forte did say he plans to meet with some of the attorneys to discuss potential solutions. As the lone female attorney on this week's panel, I want to ask Laura about her take on this matter, but I will add there is a new development, and that is suddenly and magically, out of nowhere, <laughs> the security system started the work, the women didn't change their undergarments, and the <laughs> sheriff didn't change the settings on the system, so can you help us understand this? Yeah, I, I think that the sheriff and Ms. Turner are digging in their heels. And in, in a lot of courthouses around the metro, you, when you have an attorney with a bar card, you're allowed to go in and you can take your cell phone in and you can wear your bra that has an underwire. Um, I know Ms. Turner, for dramatic effect, dropped a whole bunch of knives and said, well, these things got carted in in a bra, but I would submit that none of them probably came out of a woman attorney's bra. Um, male, so, what about male attorneys? Maybe male attorneys, because you just don't know. But, um, but yeah, the female attorneys know. So I am glad to hear that the that the censors are doing better because in Johnson County and federal court and Jackson County and Clay and all the other counties around, they have done that. They don't tip off on the underwire bras. Now, Teresa, you once were a member of the Jackson County legislature 
if you were still there and this had not been resolved, what might you have done? I mean, I would, again, look at the security system because it has to be in the calibration. Even though they're saying they didn't do anything, they had to have done something. I think Ruth Pest yeah. with the, um, with the um, public defender's office has said the last instance that she has recorded of it going, being set off by one of her attorneys was last Friday. So something has happened since everything occurred last Thursday with the rally out in front and so forth for it to not be set, being set off because of underwire in your bra. So um, I think it's interesting, but nobody's saying, you know, nobody's claiming that they did something. It's like miraculously, just suddenly it's not going off anymore. Uh, Denidri, <laughs> uh, do you think there's any reasonable explanation or excuse for Forte's position on this? I, I can't even, well, I mean, he had a, a decent argument. They do have to protect um, everybody, the inmates, in, the inmates and, and the mm -hmm. staff yeah. and, mm -hmm. and even the attorneys who come in, but that's a little, you, you can, I'm sure all of the ladies here have walked through airport security or um, <laughs> with underwire courthouses mm -hmm. or state capitals or city hall, and mm -hmm. the, the, it never rings. So I right. almost wonder if some creep didn't turn it up or something. I can't even uh, envision yeah. such yeah. a situation in which it, that happens. Right, it's that it just, goes off because like, of that. Shouldn't it ring on your yeah. earrings and like your belt buckles? Yeah, a lot of heels have wide metal yes. in them. It yeah. just seems like how is that even happening? Now I've had to take my shoes off before sure, because correct. of the metal frame that's right. in the shoe. Mm -hmm. You know what struck me, John, is that we had a group of women attorneys standing outside the jail. Why didn't they just file a lawsuit? to force the sheriff to change the system. Well, I think that that probably could have and should have been the, the next logical step, step but uh, evidently the, the, the magic unicorns magic. That, that, that run the, uh, the, the, the uh, metal detectors showed up and, and fixed this. My, my bigger concern, I mean, there, there's certainly the concern of, the, of the, the female attorneys who are officers of the court. I mean, they, yes, they, they should be back, given the privileges badges, above and beyond the, well, the general had, public. We've had background checks. We, yeah, they take our fingerprints. Exactly. Right. You I have mean, your badges to we, prove, you passed yeah, your bar exactly. exam. I mean. and, it, and it, I just think the, the, the yes. entire conversation around this seeds distrust in the process, and that's also a very unfortunate occurrence. Just say, we turned it up, we made a mistake, we went too hard with this, we'll correct it, thank you. And I think and this would have resolved <laughs> yeah. itself. It yes. uh, Laura, the attorneys were saying if they don't meet face-to-face -face with their clients, their clients are at a disadvantage. Uh, is that true? I Couldn't they so. talk to him on the phone? Well, or? I don't do a lot of criminal work, but you do it on the phone, it can be recorded, and so you lose that attorney-client confidentiality. And so mm -hmm. particularly, depending on what your client is charged with, you need to be able to have a face-to-face -face conversation with your client. Well, you probably can get a better sense of what your client thinks and is feeling, and your client could get a better sense and of what you believe would be the most effective way to deal with the problem. That is, that is. I think it. I, it, knew, it, I, it's a, it I knew I should have gone right. to law school. <laughs> That's exactly uh, right. Uh, you think that if this had gone on, we would have seen the county executive or the legislature get involved and play a more prominent role? Absolutely. I think that at a certain point, the legislature and the executive have to step in and say, wait a minute, there's definitely issues going on over here, and how do we help uh, make sure that it gets you know, handled and, and corrected? It, it certainly sounded like that, so I don't think this would have lasted a long time. Maybe the magic that fixed the system can <laughs> fix the jail. <laughs> won't have these concerns about uh, uh, an inadequate county jail. Okay, That's let's it. go over to the soapbox and take advantage of the time we have for roast okay. and toast. This is where the Ruckettes have 30 seconds each to cheer, sneer, or leer. And up first today is Denidri. I want to give a toast to Coleman Hughes. He's a writer, 
um, and Democrat who testified in front of a House committee yesterday about reparations. And he said, the question is not what America owes me by virtue of my ancestry. The question is what all Americans owe each other by virtue of being citizens of the same nation. He called the uh, push for reparations for slavery a moral and political mistake, and I agree. However, I would like to add, if you have white guilt and would like to send money to someone, I will accept it. By the way, what, ha <laughs> what happened after he spoke? People booed. Uh, it was terrible. He got, like, booed off the stage, basically. Oh. Laura? So I, I debated back and forth, but I am going to give a toast and a shout out to Butch Rigby. Butch is a local attorney and developer, and he was somebody who was against the Proposition 1 that was mm -hmm. on the ballot. He has really brought a lot of new life along that 63rd Street yes. corridor and Troost, and he is committed to our community. He puts his heart and money where his mouth is, and so thank you, Butch. You said you argued back and forth, so only attorneys can do that, right? There you go. <laughs> John. Sure. I'd like to give a toast to the nearly 67,000 voters in Kansas City, Missouri, who actually took the time to go to the polls to make their vote heard. Uh, that's a 17,000 uh, voter increase from the primaries, uh, an increase from the last mayoral election, and I hope it's a trend that continues because while it's still, while it's a significant increase, it is still woefully short from actually voters having a, a broad voice across our just, community. Just before I go to Teresa, won't that make it um, necessary for petitions that there more people have to sign? Thankfully, right. it uh, again, a woefully short, small petition initiative threshold now goes to slightly Because it's based on turnout woefully. in mayoral yes. elections. All right, Correct. Teresa. So I want to give a toast out to KCADC, the Kansas City Area Development Council, for the work that they do in bringing jobs and bringing companies into <clears> the Kansas City area, especially since today we had this discussion about incentives. KCADC is a prime example of what can happen when you are able to bring people to the table and get more businesses into the community. All right, and finally, here is a toast to Citizens Against Government Waste for issuing this year's Pig Book, outlining examples of wasteful federal spending. There's $65 million to help recover Pacific coastal salmon, $13 million to manage wild horses, $9 million to quarantine fruit flies, and $8 million to purchase fish screens. The pig book explains why the federal budget always ends up in red oink. Uh, ink. That's Ruckus for this week. We are back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, I'm Mike Shannon saying thanks very much for watching. Good night. And that's all, folks. <laughs> Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you.